Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Run for the Song Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Drum for the Song Podcast. I am your host, Dane Campbell. And today's guest is the very, very awesome Mike Heaton from Embrace. I'm so happy that Mike agreed to come on the show because not only is he a drummer in a number one album selling indie band, he's also the director of Code Drumheads, which is a relatively new drumhead brand that tries to rival the big boys, Remo, Evans and Aquarian. So we'll talk about that later on. All in all, it's a great conversation with Mike. He's a top guy. And if you're listening via the audio-only version, there is a section where he shows off some of his drums in his studio. So you might want to check out the YouTube version for that. But one of the most fascinating things was the budgets involved back in the 90s with bands, how much they spent on recording and making music videos was absolutely crazy compared to today. So, um, yeah, you've got to listen, really, to find out how much money was spent. It's incredible. Although Mike plays drums in an indie band, he confesses he's actually more into his rock and punk music. So he also talks about some of his favorite bands, what he's listening to right now. And that's pretty cool to know that he's a rocker at heart, really. Please make sure you're following me on social media. On Facebook, I've got the Drum for the Song official Facebook group. And you can like my page, Dane Campbell Drummer. If you're on Instagram and Twitter, you've got the Drum for the Song account. But you've also got Dane underscore drums if you want to follow my personal account. So please give me a follow and let me know when you're listening to the podcast. If you stick around until the interview finishes... I will talk about how you can also support me on my Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash drum for the song. You can sign up for monthly payments and in return, I'll give you bonus episodes, Zoom Q&A calls and loads of other things. So check it out. So let's just get on with it. Enjoy my conversation with Mike Heaton from Embrace. Run for the song. Podcast. Hey guys, this is Drum for the Song Podcast. My name is Dane Campbell. I'm here with Mike Heaton today, who's the drummer in Embrace. Hi, Mike. How's it going? Hi, you all right? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, really good. Good to talk to you. There's a nice room you've got there. Some nice drums I can see. Yeah, this is my uh, sort of teaching and recording. So I record it's all can't see, but the Pro Tools all set up and everything. This kit's all fully mic'd and uh, and the other kits, the uh, that's my. Um, I actually didn't get it too long ago. It's a '74 Ludwig, but it's a 26-inch bass drum. Nice. It's a beast. It's I bet a beast. it is. But this this one, uh, this kit here, actually is my uh, it's my British Drum Company kit because I'm you know, I'm endorsed by them, and they produce beautiful drum kits. They seem to, yeah. Um, relatively new company, so maybe we'll talk about them. Yeah. In in a little bit later when we talk about your gear. Mm-hmm. But, um, do you mind talking about how you originally got into drums and drumming and how you learned, etc., please? Yeah, I, I mean, it's going back to when I was uh, 11 years old. Um, 
And what happened was I was really into punk at the time. So we're going back to the late seventies. Uh, and I just wanted to be, uh, I wanted to be Steve Jones from the Pistols. Steve Jones and his white Les Paul was my, you know, that was my, it was my God. It was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, on my 11th birthday, you know, I would kind of asked for this electric guitar and my dad was kind of quite traditional. He'd done a little bit of core drumming, I think when he was in the, the army. Uh, and, um, you know, I woke up on my 11th birthday and I had a snare drum. There was no white Les Paul, there was a snare drum. Uh, and um, but then I just fell for it, fell for the drums. Uh, and according to my mum, I, I kind of just f fell into playing basic grooves straight away, really. Um, it, it sort of came naturally to me, uh, which was a bit of a uh, I don't know, I wish it hadn't in a way because I, I kind of got to a reasonable level quite quickly. So, you know, me being the arrogant young thing I was, didn't think I needed lessons, um, you know, to learn all these stupid rudiment type things uh, so so, uh, so so i did i went to one tutor in bradford who was i can't even remember his name he was rubbish he just got me trying to play hotel california all right uh, uh, and then i went to another teacher uh, who i won't mention his name because he was a really good player and a good teacher but we were talking about this earlier today on a different interview that um it's really important to find the teacher that works for you uh and this teacher kind of showed me rudiments but didn't show me what, what the cool part about them was you know what you could do with them you know if he, if he just said to me look listen to john bonham doing this that's all rudiments and stuff and buddy rich but he didn't and and i struggled very much with uh with doubles so i just gave up i literally gave up on the on the on the, on the double side of things and just got on with playing you know mainly singles obviously little roughs and stuff like that but just just playing um and then just went through various various bands like that and it wasn't until probably four albums in with Embrace that I, I got so frustrated that I couldn't do what my drumming heroes did. That I went back again, found another two drum teachers, didn't work for me, then found a guy called Rich Wilson. Um, and, uh, and, and, we, and we just clicked. And, uh, and, he, and I went back and spent two years literally learning everything I should have learned when I was 13, 14. Uh, but I was 35, you know, I, I'd, I'd kind of, you know, let it let it run on uh, so it's hard work but I managed to hopefully nail it and then it was after that that I um that I started teaching because I kind of thought okay I want to pass on my knowledge to other people and say don't do what I did because it was completely the wrong thing to do <laughs> obviously it got me into the career that, I'm, that I've got now I'm very thankful for and maybe if I was strange thing to say but if I was too good it wouldn't have worked out with the band I'm in um, because you know a lot of the stuff is relatively simple but what I did learn was to love the simplicity of drumming as well, not having to overplay all the time, you know. Uh, sorry, going to a completely different subject now, but anyway, that, that, that's where I started. <laughs> that's absolutely perfect because I have a very similar story to that in that I learned from a young age. I didn't have lessons. I wasn't really encouraged to have lessons, which is annoying looking back on it. Um, my dad used to be a drummer before he played guitar. Mm. So he taught me some of the basics and I kind of just grew as a drummer from there, from listening and watching other drummers. And I was never kind of encouraged to go and have lessons or offered lessons. Um, mm. So again, I didn't learn any of that kind of stuff. I was probably playing some of it and not realizing. I, I remember no, I knew what a paradiddle was. And I used yeah. to apply that sometimes because I kind of, I'd learned it. But as for all the other things, no one ever showed me. And yeah, I, I started having lessons only for maybe a year or two with a guy in Cardiff called Elliot Bennett, who's a he's a great teacher. 
I, I went to him because I wanted to expand my playing. I, w- I wanted to not just play rock because I'd only ever really played rock and punk and anything that kind of style. And I was like, right, I need to expand how I play. And he did. He showed me some of the Latin rhythms, African rhythms. I didn't nail any of them, but it just it got me thinking. <laughs> Sounds got, like Yeah. Like it, it, a lot of it was just like, I can't comprehend what you're doing there or how it's <laughs> counted, how it relates to how is that in four four? Because it was in apparently it was all in four four, and I was like, I don't understand. But um, yeah, I think maybe if I was younger, being shown all that, it would have I would have understood it more. I think learning as an adult is a lot harder. Um, yeah. your, your brain doesn't take things in as well and as quickly, and it doesn't retain information. Um, but yeah, it, yeah, that's kind of one of the main things that I pass on to a lot of my students. That you know. Do it young. Your brain's like a sponge. When you get to my age, your brain's like a rock. Nothing goes in. Yeah, I know what you mean. I'm like I'm a little bit. I'm 34 now, so um, I'm a little bit younger than you. But still, I learn something, and if I don't practice it, and I go back to it, I like a few weeks later, won't have a clue, no idea. So mm. um, you've got to keep practicing. But yeah, and what you said about the simplicity thing. This this whole podcast, the name of it is Drum for the Song which is something I always try and do. Um, I'm not into overplaying. And it's quite interesting that you mentioned that without me even asking you. So that's cool. And I, I was going to say you're a great, from listening to your records, mm. I don't think I've ever heard one part where I thought, oh, it's a bit too busy there on the drums. But it it's perfectly suits the music you're playing. That's well. That's that's again, Dane. That's something that I I particularly do when I'm when I'm teaching because I've only got a small number of students. It's, it's only obviously part of what I do. But I I love I love sitting down and just picking up the bass and playing along with them and just saying, look, you know, this is kind of how it's going to be in a band. You know, you've got to learn to play a time with the locking with the bass, obviously, but play for the song. Um, when I was a younger drummer, the bands, in fact, the band I was in before Embrace were called. Um, big spread which um i thought made complete sense but the rest of the band thought it was hilarious basically we had a, we had a, a french singer called francois who was like a cross between elvis and uh, anthony kiedis um and it's and it was very it was like yeah chili peppers with elvis up front and it was very funky and complicated drumming and a few odd time signatures so when i got into embrace and the reason that band finished actually bizarrely was that uh our singer francois got deported Oh, wow. So, so uh, that was the back to Marseille, and that was the end of it. The band, the band split up, and they were. I, I loved the band; it was great. But it obviously gave me the opportunity to join Embrace. First couple of two, well, probably first two years of Embrace, we were really, really compl- overcomplicated, gothy type music. Uh, we didn't mm. realise. We thought we were groundbreaking, but we were. We were just like a goth band. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and and then we we had this 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 moment where we got a review that basically said you know the lowest common denominator of this that and the other and we sort of looked at our music and went oh yes not very good is it and we spent a year and that's when we completely changed and became what everyone knows is the sound embrace and went to the studio and i had to calm my drumming right down to the point where at first it was frustrating because it was like you know all these really slow little grooves to the to the to the ballads uh, but then I grew to just, just to, to to love just playing simple grooves. You know, you look at Ringo or whatever. You know, um, Charlie Watts. You know, playing these these simple grooves and just making them, nailing them, and making them do exactly what the song needs. 
Uh, And and that's uh, that's something very much I work with with my students. I'm not a technical player. I do beginners to intermediate players. I teach them how to get off the ground and how to play in a band, basically. Cool. And then if they want to go somewhere after that and learn all the real technical stuff, I'll pass them on to somebody like Rich Wilson Wilson, and go, there you go, there's the next part of your journey. That's really cool to know because a lot of people have always told me, oh, you should get into teaching. You'd be a great teacher. And I'm like, I don't know enough stuff to teach people. But I could potentially do... Yeah, I think I could probably do what you're doing. And I've always considered that, but I thought, you know, if you're getting sent like a, a kid by a parent, they probably expect them to come home with homework and all this written stuff. I'm like, I'm not really into that. But maybe that is something I could consider because I, I've i grown up playing in bands since I was 13. So I know how to do that. <laughs> You'll, yeah, and you will know a lot more than you know because it, it wasn't even me who thought about teaching. It was Rick, our guitarist, who said, uh, it was when we were having a break back in uh, after 2006. We had a couple of years off before we started working on the next album. And uh, and he said, why do you teach? I said, don't know enough to teach. He said, yeah, you do. You'd be surprised. And then mm. when I spent that two years, a couple of years previous to that, going back into all this stuff I should have learned, I, I, I just thought, and I use this, uh, this analogy that Rick, again, passed on to me uh, with a lot of things. He said, you know, think of it like, you know, jump and the net will appear. You know, and, and after we had a break in 2006, we weren't sure if we were ever going to come back again. And suddenly I was faced with, you know, having had, you know, three number one albums with this band, having spent the last 10 years doing nothing but embrace, thinking, shit, what am I going to do now? Um, and um, through another guy I know, um, Rich Huxley, who's in a band called Hope and Social, he hooked me up with uh, some mentoring for, for a council, a local council. And I said, I'll try that. Uh, and I started doing that. And I loved it. Just working with young bands and helping them still basically that, how to learn to put the band together and promote the band and play together and dynamics and stuff like that. Mm. I did that for, for about two, three years while there was a lot of money in that sort of council side and started doing lectures then around various colleges, just about the industry, just talking about how what we'd been through to try and give um, you know young students an idea of what the industry was, although it's changed massively in the last 10 years. So, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's had, obviously the musical aspect of it can still be applied, but the, bus- the business side has completely changed. So it is hard to kind of teach people how you did it because mm-hmm. that's not really a likely way that they might succeed now because the, the, the industry works in a completely different way. So. Well, I mean, even over the last six months, obviously. Yeah. It, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's changed dramatically. And um, obviously, I'm going to retrain next week, just in case <laughs> anyone was wondering. Claim your 20%. Yeah, I don't know what I'll retrain. I was apparently going to Richie Sunak, you know, I should retrain. So, did but, you, you do, know, oh, go on. Go on, no, go on. I was going to say, did you do the um, the questionnaire online, the, the government questionnaire, and then recommends what industries you could go into? I didn't, but Steve, our bass player, I was speaking to him yesterday and he asked me if I'd done it. I said no. Uh, and he said he did it. And and, and guess what it came back as? Musician? Mus- yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't get a musician. I got, I did get a teacher, which was interesting. Okay. And, and then health, was it health, prof- no, health, something to do with like teaching people about health. I don't know how they worded it. And I'm then I, yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. And then I had mechanic. I was like, I'm a complete. <laughs> You, most useless person in the entire world at knowing about cars and how to fix cars. I don't know how that came up. And just generally doing things with my hands, I'm all for. So, yeah, I mean, just, you imagine somebody, somebody has been paid a fortune to develop that. Yeah. That 
and everything, you know, uh, and it's, <laughs> oh, I don't know. And they're getting a pay raise next year as well. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's just laughable. I remember when I was at school, we had to fill in a questionnaire uh, about, um, you know, what you, the careers thing, and I, and I filled it in. And I vividly remember it came back with um, the top one was a, a, an ergonomist. Do you know I, what an ergonomist I, is? I don't, to be honest. Right. Well, I didn't either. It's basically it's it's when you feel if you're sitting in a car, and it's how you position things to be. Ah, oh, ergonomics. Yeah, ergonomics. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so an ergonomist or whatever it was called. So I and uh, I thought, yeah, that's useful. <laughs> so obviously, I mean, I know I'd set my drum kit up so I can reach the bits. So I presume that's you know maybe that's yeah, where that's, it came. That is similar. Yeah. Yeah. But how so, do you make money out of that? I don't know. <laughs> how do you? Exactly. I don't, how yeah, is that a career? God knows. Yeah, there, <laughs> there must be somebody on Anyway, anyway, that's yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's cool, man. So go. Um, so yeah. So going back from maybe having some reviews that weren't so great to having a number one debut album, yeah. which is amazing. What can you kind of describe what that was like going through that experience and just finding out your album went to number one and like how what were you doing then? It was it, it was bizarre because. Um, once the band had got up and running and we'd found our feet uh, and then we started, we decided to do these showcase. Well, no, sorry. I'll rewind a bit. We looked for a manager. So first and foremost, what we had, we went, went to find a manager before we found a record deal. And um, we had a demo that we'd done, which we're really proud of. Uh, and we sent that to loads of management in London and we got a load of replies. And Danny and Rick actually went down to London because I was working full time as was Steve. That was the deal. They were, they were doing the thing on the dole and then we were working to pay the bun, band right. space function okay. rehearsals so they went down met these managers uh, and singled out so we, there were two on the cards and the one we ended up going with was a guy called tony perrin and tony, tony was working with all about eve and the mission uh, he managed both of them and um we went with him in 1996 and we are still with him to this day oh, wow amazing so, so uh, he's taken us through countless record deals we've been dropped God knows how many times re-signed American deals, etc., and he's guided us through all of those over the last um, twenty-four years. Uh, and he's still there with us, still there working with us. And um, you know, there's a very close bond, and it just it just kind of works because I get a lot of young bands coming in recording in my studio because I record bands, but just tend to sort of local bands, helping them sort of you know getting through, doing it at really good prices. So it's not really a commercial studio, but um, you know, a lot of them will say, "Oh, can you?" give me some advice on management I'm like I don't know we've had the same manager for 24 years I don't know any other managers you know we were lucky we found the the, the right person for us uh, and we haven't had to look elsewhere um, so we did that and um, we found Tony he arranged then some showcase gigs at a place called the Duchess um, in in Leeds very famous small pub venue that Everyone had been to Nirvana, Pearl Jam, the, the whole lot, when they were first starting. Um, I saw Suede on the first album there, PJ Harvey on the first tour there. Wow. Um, uh, and um, and we did these three showcases. And strangely enough, well, not strangely enough, but a lot of record labels came up. Bizarrely, on one night, just before going on, Tony said, oh, by the way, um, Butch Figs here. What? <laughs> just got over from France um, because uh, this other guy had, had heard about us and he'd come over and like, you're telling us this just before we're about to go on and do a showcase. Yeah, you don't want to know that, do you really? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so we, 
<laughs> we did those and, and after those gigs um there, a few labels were interested and the one that um we went with was uh hut records part of virgin run by david boyd uh fantastic guy just fantastic for us um uh he he just you know he, he recently brought the, the pump, smashing pumpkins over to, to hut in the uk uh-huh. he just he had the verve he had just quite a striking roster of, of acts at that, that time um, and he was great. He basically said, do whatever you want to do. Let's sign a contract with full artistic control. So, you know, we could do whatever we wanted. And we did. We just spent a load of money recording. Uh, in hindsight, you know, big advances should have been maybe kept for a rainy day. But we, I think the first two albums, and this is this is what amazes a lot of students when I did talks. Both of our first two albums cost between three and 400,000 each to record. Wow. Which, if you look at it at this day and age, it just wouldn't happen unless you were selling millions, millions of copies. Um, plus the videos on top of that, you know. It's insane it, amount, yeah. Well, even though we've sold close to two million albums, in you know, we've never earned a penny from selling records. Not one penny. You've never recouped. Never recouped. Because wow. it was all advance, advance videos which are half recoupable so i'm sure you'll know so you've got all that cost and PR, everything else you know going on the account so we no, we never we never earned a penny from that so all these people that saw these number one albums and thought i was driving a ferrari and living in a castle <laughs> not really i mean obviously we did we did well um you know and we've had a 24 year career out of it um yeah. but that's based on live and merchandise and publishing yeah people nothing, need to know this yeah nothing, not, nothing on selling Nothing at all in selling, and that's that's the three number one albums in total. Yeah, and yeah. didn't they all? They pretty much all get the top ten. Uh, most most of them, vast majority. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I'm I'm racking my brains now. I think they were all. Yeah, I think nine was the lowest entry point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, absolutely. But it's just it's just bonkers. People don't realize they assume you're in the charts and they assume you're a millionaire, especially. Yeah, yeah, last last man. Got no. I was I was going to say you probably find bands that work their asses off at, um, you know, a level or slightly lower level that tour a lot more than we did because we never toured too much. Probably end up making more money because you know it's it's the live side that was just generating the income. Yeah, well, that's definitely how, like my band and most other bands I know is they rely on this live, yeah. and merch, record sales. Pointless, you know. If you can sell some on the road, great. But people are mainly buying them because you're signing them because they want the signed copy. Yeah, but yeah. You don't, you know, you don't get a penny back from sales. Well, they want to buy the vinyl so they can just exactly. put it on the wall. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, there are still collectors, especially yeah, yeah, um, yeah. in our. I guess my band is kind of a hard rock audience, so hmm. there's a lot of people that have come from that world of vinyl collecting and. Our new album that's coming out now, we're doing like a few different versions of the vinyl and people are buying all three of them, which is, we're really thankful for that because if we didn't have that, it would really, well, especially this year, we would really have struggled. It's, um, it's great. I mean, vinyl, let's face it, vinyl is, is just amazing, you know, in many ways, you know, you, I mean, colored vinyl is, I'm still a sucker for colored vinyl. You know, you get something like a splatter or a red or a bright, you know, it, it's just, yeah. it's, it's a piece of, it's a work of art. And then of course you've got the, all the artwork you know, an album is a, is a, just about big enough to, to be a proper piece of uh, work of art, really. Whereas a CD was never kind of that 
that size didn't didn't work you know the yeah. you know, the design needed to be big on an album you know i, so. I definitely appreciate that now because i grew up with cds because mm. i was born in 86 so it was cds were the new thing and that's what i was used to but then now i get to see the artwork in you know high resolution i don't know if that's the right word but yeah, mm. you can actually see the detail of the artwork and you can appreciate how much has gone into into it. And yeah, it's amazing. So. Completely. Speak, interesting enough, when, when you said that when you were born, I think I saw your dad the year before you were born. Was it? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> where, where was that? Uh, I, I think, if I get you right, I saw Motorhead a few times because uh, I was just always a massive fan. Uh, and I, I think, because that would have been about your dad's time, would it be about 84? Yeah, yeah, he joined in, I think, 83 or 84, he joined, yeah. yeah. I think it was at Bradford University. I think it was yeah, Bradford cool. University on the uh, Iron Fist, would it be another tour after that? I can't Probably. Yeah. I don't know much before I was born, because I never really bothered <laughs> to go back. But yeah, I've heard, I've heard it all at some point. I get a bit confused with the order of everything. Yeah, uh, but anyway, anyway, that was just an aside. But yeah, yeah it's, it, it, like you say, uh, vinyl has uh, has been a, a lifeline to a lot of a lot of bands, really, to be able to sell that, because that, that's the only thing. I mean, obviously, CD sales are, are plummeting uh, yeah. and will eventually disappear. Mm-hmm. Vinyl won't. Um, uh, streaming is the future, regardless of what you think of it. It is the future. It is, yeah. You've got to accept it. Um, I use it as a consumer as well, so... So do I. It's probably, you know, a lot yeah. of people. I can slag off Spotify here. Yeah. I can love. I can love it here. I think it's an amazing tool. You know, to be able to just, you know, because I've been doing a lot of walking over over the last six months, uh, and you know, just be able to just go, oh, what should I listen to? And just, just put it on. I've discovered loads and loads of new bands through it. But personally, I earn bugger all through it because, yeah. you know, as, as, we, as we all know that you know you get whatever i can't remember 0.004 pence per play or something ridiculous yeah you know if they got that right yeah i think i know there's a lot of pressure now from people in the industry to to kind of make that fairer for the artist whether that will take a few years or whether it'll happen at all people know that that guy's a billionaire of mm-hmm. people's subscriptions so why why is it all going to him and not the people who are providing the entertainment, you know? So yeah, I mean, it does get, it, it does get siphoned off by the record companies, which people tend to stop, you know, slagging off, but they still take a chunk out of it as well, obviously. So it's got to be a joint, it's got to be a joint thing. Yeah. Or, or, or we just go direct, you know, and don't have record companies, which is the, you know, the other, the other model. Cause obviously now, look, not obviously, but um, a, a lot of th- bands are going and signing record um, servicing deals rather than record, deals you know it's it's changing on that side of things and a lot of people can record their own we, i mean we recorded our last two albums ourselves self-produced in our own studios and we're lucky to be able to do that so we can go out there we can record a whole album and then just go to tony our manager there you go sell that there's no cost involved to the record label you know yeah there's no massive upfront recording costs or anything no yeah um and because of technology you know, uh, you know, I've recorded stuff in this room, which is like 13 feet square. Uh, I've recorded stuff that's been released and sounds as good as, you know, albums that we've recorded at Olympic Studios in London, you know, uh, years ago that costs stupid amounts of money. Um, I've learned a lot over the last 15 years about recording. And uh, yeah, I'm a, we, 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 we uh, spend a lot of money. Um, <laughs> We we hired a we hired a stately home in uh, the Cotswolds for the second album, uh, uh, which was you know 
insane because it was like a 20 odd bedroom mansion we put a studio in it radio had just come out of it and uh we spent 12 weeks there with with living caterers you know (laughs) it was it was was insane you know I wish we'd have, in a way, I wish we'd have saved the money that so we had yeah. some more money, but it's an experience that we'll never, never forget. Yeah, exactly. People aren't doing that now. So mm. you did that. And I guess maybe you, that's what people did back then. There was money in the, there was money in the industry and that's what people did. And that's kind of what it was expected. It was that they just said, what do you want? And we said, we want this. And they said, you can have it. And you know that's when they do that, um, then you get used to it. But um, but yeah, but going back to what you said about the first album, you know, yeah. we did these showcases and then, and then got the deal and then and recorded the album over the year and did two or three EPs as well, I think. And I think because we got caught up in this whirlwind of of of, of you know being um, toted as the next. I mean, it, it was it was in a way a bit lazy because you know we were from the north and we had two brothers and we were quite bolshy. Yeah, so it was natural. It was natural. The next oasis was the thing that came up. But you know, it works in our favour as well. And um, I think we just kind of expected the album to do well, which is bizarre. And it did well. And we weren't like, oh, this, uh, we were like, oh great, yeah, we deserve this. Uh it wasn't until we came back, uh and the, the next album that went to the moon was the um fourth album that we really enjoyed and were really amazed at, uh, at why it had happened. First time round, it just I don't know. I think when you're in your first band, you just think you're invincible and you are the best band in the world. So why why would we not go to number one? No. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but no, it was it, it was misguided, and we enjoyed it a lot more probably second time round. Really nice. It, it was that fourth album that because I've been listening to a lot of this stuff over the last few weeks, and it's the fourth album is the one I remember that my my younger brother Tyler. I remember he was a bit of a well, he was a pretty big fan of you guys and. I remember hearing, well, I listened to it thinking I just know the singles and I put the whole album on. I was like, oh, I know all of these songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did a little bit of research and it said that it was one of the lead singles written by Chris Martin. And what was the relationship with that and how did that happen? Um, so basically, when we were did a, uh, doing our second album, Drawn From Memory, um, when we came to release it, we decided... Um, to do two nights at the Blackpool uh, Tower Ballroom, which is the the, the ballroom underneath the, the tower. Wow. Not surprisingly, called pretty, the Tower Ballroom. Yeah, anyway, it's pretty cool. It's, it's, where, it's where they do, um, <laughs> not that you'd be aware of this, but it's where they film the Strictly Come Dancing final type thing when they go and do oh, Okay. There you go. Uh, very ornate. Um, so we did that, uh, and then we got the sport bands in. We had JJ72 and um, a few of the bands, and one of the sports bands was Coldplay, and they were just releasing their first uh, EP. So uh, we watched them, we met them, um, became friends with them. Danny particularly became friends with Chris. Um, and then fast forward a couple of two or three years' time and we were working on the fourth album, uh, Out of Nothing, and we pretty much finished it. And Chris got in touch with Danny and said, um, I've got this song that, that, that I've written. And they had played it live, but they did a very, very, very slow version of it. Um, you know, and said... Um, it just it just doesn't work with the band, you know. And we think we we all thought it it worked for you guys. So we said, well, I don't know about that. We've never taken anyone else's song. We've always written our own songs. But you know, we said, okay, we'll do a demo. Demoed it. Obviously, the record company were like, oh yeah, you know. At this point, Coldplay were just pretty much huge. They just just reached that sort of you know level. They just got massive. 
so um so yeah so we did did a demo of it and it, and it worked out really well um gravity and um and then yeah we decided to put it on the album so it's the it's the only song that, that we haven't written on any album we've ever done uh, right. and I, I still you know i thank chris for it because we'd had a three-year break then um well not three year break we'd be writing record the album three years it was quite tough um and we came back with that single and it it, it put it, i think it went about number six or seven or something and, and it and it and it's you know put us back on the right trajectory and um um uh, yeah and chris has you know he did that for us which was great uh and then three years ago he asked us to support them at the uh, principality uh for two nights Fantastic. Uh, he said you know um i've been listening to a lot of your stuff and realizing how much it influenced me to start the band so uh, do you fancy just supporting us at principality for two <laughs> we said hang on a sec let me think about that i know Okay, go on then we will do go on <laughs> <Yeah>. go on <laughs> go go on so we did yeah we did that in whatever it was 2017 so yeah they've been yeah been good to us uh and they're just they're just nice guys that produce great music what a yeah. voice yeah exactly i think they unfortunately i've never seen them live they're kind of one of those bands where i would love to see them live i've just never had the opportunity to really do it or i've been away or i haven't been at that festival they headlined and i yeah, I mean, they, they, I, I saw them obviously back in the day when they supported us, and then on the tour after that. Then not for years, and then when we did the principality shows with them um, a couple of years ago, we did our first set, oh, our set, and then I went out to watch them, and um, absolutely, I was just blown away. Absolutely, yeah. but the show, the songs, everything that came together, I, it was just I was, uh, you, you know, and you watch something and you just go yeah okay and i understand i understand yeah. why you're as big as you are you know that was phenomenal i mean fair enough the special effects and everything that goes with it were phenomenal but the underlying thing is the band was was great and um and the songs were great so um, yeah, yeah the songs the shows great. how important the songs are because yeah that's what it is a lot of people i know i don't, i like his voice but a lot of people don't like chris's voice but it's unique you know it's him when you hear it and i think that obviously helps yeah um he's, yeah he's just got that distinguishable distinguishable kind of tone and the way he sings and he can write amazing songs so yeah don't know why anyone bothers critiquing um critiquing him so but um the other thing i i wasn't aware of being a welshman to be honest is that you, you did a song for the england football team 2006 yeah. what did you have yeah. to like apply for that did they come to you or how did that work uh okay uh that that was um they'd used um basically in sports that they'd been using our our songs because the you know anthems so to yeah. speak for a lot of sport for, for a good few years well since we started really all uh, football tenders to love them because they were these big anthemic songs that worked well behind the commentary or, or whatever um and they came to us the um and you see i know nothing about sport or football right so it was the um uh, the um football association whoever it is they came to us and they asked us well, a couple of times we were like nah, nah not, not doing it. and then in the end we sort of said well okay but we're not writing a song specifically and we looked at stuff we had um that we hadn't quite finished for the for the uh, fifth album uh, and we had this this song, uh, I think it was called the Mountain Song, the rough version. And um, so Danny rewrote some lyrics and they said, oh, you know, and they heard it and they said, yeah, this is great. Can you just sort of put, you know, words like score a goal, back of the net and stuff? And we said, 
no if you you want it you want it you know uh, it's called world at your feet it's you know about football and you know <clears throat> and they said yeah we'll go for it um yeah, everyone was telling it's the best thing we could possibly do you know the album will go stratospheric you know you, you'll be millionaires by next year you know all right like on label um and so we did it uh, and it was a great it was an interesting experience we went to the P PFA is it PFA awards and things and played there and met the footballers and but you you weren't into football so that's a shame. No, some of them are nice, some of them are assholes. All oh, right, <laughs> and it's uh, it, it's uh, you know we, we did it. Uh, I'm very proud to, to to do it for for you know for England, but um, yeah, uh, it, it didn't. It, it actually stopped album sales, although the single went at number two. I think they really you know number two, uh, they it just kind of I don't know it had a weird effect on mm. on our fan base. Maybe they sort of went what the hell are they doing? And that's, it was after that year that we had a break for quite a long period of time. It, okay. so, so, although it raised our profile massively, yeah, um, it, it wasn't necessarily great for, um, you know, what the band wanted to do. So we had to sort of take a bit of time to, to reassess what we, what we were about. Strangely enough, two years before that, we actually won the Best Live Band in Wales award. Best Live Band in Wales. How, how about that? Yeah, we've still got the award somewhere. Was that's it Pop cool. Factory? Pop oh, Factory? Yeah, the Pop Factory. All right, okay. Yeah, yeah that's really uh, close to where I live. Um, is it? In that old mill? Yeah, like, yeah. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's about a 25 minute drive away from where yeah, I live. Yeah. They used to have a TV show. And they that's used right. To have, yeah, you were on there, were you? We were, yeah, we were on oh. there two, three, a couple of times. And then it was, I think it was through them that the awards were some Probably. sort of welsh music awards or whatever it was yeah we came down and won the best live band for for, for i can't remember which year it was but um cool there you go that's interesting that is interesting there you go <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, um it is strange to know then that the, the kind of fo- football single hmm. maybe had a negative effect that i wouldn't have expected but um i'm sorry if i sorry for bringing it up if it, if it no, doesn't it, bring it, great it, memories it, it, no, we, we had a lot of good, great memories from doing it, and, and um, but it just didn't kind of pan out exactly how yeah. we, we 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 pushed it back, and we were pushed into doing it. Really, I think, okay. um, uh, and maybe in hindsight, I don't know. It, it, it's hard to say. It's hard yeah. you don't know. You don't, you don't know what it could have changed after that. So you know, we did it. Um, we had a laugh, um, and uh, I think we were doing the forest tour that that summer. Uh, and I think England were in all the way through until, this sounds stupid, until they got knocked out, obviously. But I think yeah. it was on the last day of the Forest Tour or something. But, um, um, but yeah, strangely enough, I was digging the T-shirt, going through my old T-shirts every day. And, and uh, my, my daughter, who was 14, was digging out the old football T-shirts that we had made. We had our own crest made. And oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, so, yeah, she's wearing those now, which is quite, it's quite cool. That is very cool. And, um, yeah, it's a shame you didn't, you weren't a football fan yourself because you had a really good squad then. I think you, I think Beckham was still involved. And did you meet Beckham or anything? Uh, didn't meet Beckham. Who did I meet? Can't remember. No, it didn't matter. Okay, fair football, enough. Footballers, footballers, uh, rich guys, yeah. rich blokes. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah some some rich blokes. And uh, I didn't actually meet them, but the uh, the original squad, what was left of the original, so not the original, the '66 squad. Um, oh. Yeah, that we did some stuff with them. Uh, I've got a wow. book signed by, let me get it right, Hurst, Jeff Hurst? Uh, definitely Hurst. I don't, yeah, I don't know, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, but... yeah. Sorry, I'm showing my ignorance. Of... Steve, our base, base player, is probably the biggest um, football fan. 
So yeah. he was uh, he was sort of trotted out for a lot of the interviews. But there was the, the press was insane, and the amount of interviews we got were huge. So I had to obviously take some of them on. And I, I did this interview with this uh, um, sports journalist, football journalist, and he said, um, who do you think the next manager is going to be? So I think they changed managers. Uh, uh, and I thought, well, A, I don't know who's the manager at the moment. So I just can't remember saying, well, that's a difficult one. I said, uh, I don't know if I should say. I know I've got it in my mind, but I don't know if I should say. And the guy said, yeah, you're probably right. And I thought, oh, Jesus Christ. I don't, <laughs> I don't even know who's managing them now. You blagged, blagged your way out of that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've had a lot of managers, I think. Um, but yeah, they, it, obviously we, we, we get a lot of the press in Wales as well about the England team, especially back then when our Welsh team was pretty crap. We're quite good now. We're fairly decent, but um, so it's kind of nice to actually be able to follow our own natural national team and they can actually be in the competition. So yeah. haven't you got the highest, one of the highest played paid players in the world? Bay, we've got Gareth Bale. Yeah. That's yeah. That's good of him. Yeah. yeah. yeah he's but, just, has he just come back from, yeah. He's just come back from Real Madrid and he's gone to Spurs. Was it 600,000 a week? Probably, probably something, something like that. It's insane, isn't it? <laughs> it's absolutely insane. I, I, I do like. I'm not hugely into football. I like football. I like kind of yeah. keeping up to date with it to some degree, but I'm not obsessive over it. I like going to watch it, or you know, going for a few beers with mates. But yeah. I hate the fact that they get paid so much money, and it's just not fair. It's, no, it's, it's, the money should go somewhere else where people are desperate and they can't feed themselves and they're homeless and there's people who get paid six hundred thousand pound a week same mm. it annoys I would, me <laughs> I, would, I would feel slightly guilty myself but anyway moving on yeah 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 exactly yeah um well so you've mentioned some of the stadium shows before i started pressing record you said you did the tsunami gig in the millennium stadium in cardiff what what are the massive shows have you done with embrace that you remember um well the the the, um, the Coldplay ones obviously we did yeah. our own uh, sort of arena tour the one and only arena tour we did uh, oh, actually no we did Leeds arena this year didn't we uh, uh, but we did uh, back in 2005 um we did like the MEN uh in Manchester yeah. uh, um interesting story associated with that probably one of our well one of our biggest own gigs if you like you know 12,000 people there whatever and um you know, we massive stages that we weren't used to. We were used to sort of, you know, normal size, whatever state stages. But um, uh, and we're, I can't remember which song we were in, but it's like halfway through the show, and we'd had problems with the mixing desk, and we were all on in ears monitors. And right. uh, uh, at one point, our uh, Beaver, our roadie, walked across the front of the stage with a piece of paper saying, "Your your monitors are going to go off for for a couple of minutes completely." <laughs> So we had to God. carry on. And it was like pff, sound gone, playing along, just and they had to reset the desk and bring another desk in, and and uh, it, it it kind of ruined one of the best gigs that we'd ever had because it just things like that throw you completely. But you know, in front of that many people, and just suddenly uh, your lifeline, which is what you can hear, which you need to obviously as a musician hear all the rest of the people. You know, we haven't got loads of amps on stage because we're all in eared up and everything. You know, right? Yeah. Uh, so there's no uh, actual there's not a lot of volume coming from amplifiers to actually go off wow um so uh, (laughs) so it was uh yeah you could hear the pa but obviously that's bouncing back from miles away yeah um but that was quite scary but yeah i mean we've done 
I think one of the most memorable shows, uh, um, for, for a couple of reasons, was we, we did uh, Glastonbury back in the years ago, back in 2000. But we supported David Bowie on the main stage. Oh, wow. And I'm a massive, massive David Bowie fan. I think he's just a genius, or, or was a genius. Uh, and we got to play before before him uh, on the main stage. It was the year when everyone broke in. So I think they, they estimated that the field had about 100,000 people in front wow. of the stage we were on. So it was huge. Um, um, so, yeah, things like that. And the Millennium Square, a place in Leeds. We did a couple of nights there, which was a, a big open-air square back in 2005. And then a place called Peace Hall last year, which was a, a place in Halifax near us, which is a really old... <clears throat> um, don't know what it's called, a big sort of square that's been renovated that holds about six thousand people. And we did we did that last year, which was which was amazing on a beautiful sunny day. Um so we've had yeah, I mean we've had our, our share of, of bigger events and um but you know I can I can pinpoint far, far smaller gigs that were just as as great. I know it's a it's a cliche, isn't it? Everyone says, Oh yeah, it's not the size of the gig, it's you know, I want to see the whites of their eyes, but sometimes being a sweaty club. You know, I've got another band called Land Sharks that is a car kind of side project, me and Steve, which is more... Uh, it's like a punk, more punk rock, would you say? Yeah, I had a quick punk. listen. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of quite... Uh, it's it, it, we, just, we just do it for fun, really. There's myself and Steve from our band. There's Beaver, who's the, 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 the aforementioned roadie, who's an amazing keyboardist. Uh, mm. And then we've got, um, we've got Sam from Wayward Sons. Yeah, on guitar, uh, and uh, and Mikey Shiraz from Mr. Shiraz on, on vocals. So, uh, and we just we just write stuff and record it in my studio here, uh, and then just go out and play. You know, in 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 little little places. Uh, Mikey runs the place called the, the Parish Pump in in Huddersfield. It's got a little venue there, and we've played there a few times. Cool. I love those I love those gigs as well. Just sweaty gigs, no in ear monitors, just amps cranked up on stage, old style. You know, nice, great. Does a smash the kit? Amazing. Um, I was about to ask you about that, and you've kind of answered that. Have you got any recorded material Lunch for people shots. to listen to? Go on Spotify. Two EPs yeah. on Spotify. Yeah, yeah. There's two EPs on there. Um, yeah, check them out. There's, yeah. there's more stuff to come fairly Great. soon when we can get back in. But yeah, yeah, awesome. So check check out them. Right. So now let's talk about Code Drumheads. Um, yes. Which is a company, I believe, you're one of the directors. Yeah, that the, um, that's right. Yeah, that's right, Dane. James, James Potts started it uh, about five years ago, and then he developed it to a point, and then he was looking for players uh, to try the heads, and he embraced one of his favourite bands, so he asked me. I tried them, liked them. I was endorsed by Remo at the time. I've been for about 10 years, uh, and I was at a position where I wanted to get, I've always wanted to get involved with something to do with man making a drum kit or making something to do with a kit, cymbals, whatever. So I said, well, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll use them, but let's let me buy into it, and we'll and we'll we'll build it ourselves together. And that's how I got involved to build the brand, make the heads original, so they're not just copy heads. They've, they've changed a lot since I spoke to you in the first place. Yeah, we've now got our own um, developed way of, of 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 holding the heads in this double deep knurled method that I've developed. Uh, we've got three or four ranges that are ours and no one else's. You know, obviously stock single twin ply stuff but it's something we're developing and it's um i mean we went over to to nam you know the show over in la in, yeah. in january this year for the first time I had a tiny little stand there and it, it was it's interesting because we're at this massive the biggest show in the world musical instrument show in the world and there's remo evans 
uh, an Aquarian. And, and that's then, it. then you. Yeah. And, that, and then us in an in in eight-foot square stand, you know, um, and we got a lot of interest. And since then, we've picked up a new German distributor. We've got a big one in, in France. We're moving into into to Norway, Sweden, Benelux countries, you know. it's And it's COVID-restricting, obviously, hmm. trade to a degree. Um, we had other territories that were just about to sign up. But it's gone from being this this little tiny thing to gradually, you know, growing to doing like a few thousand heads a month now. And it's um yeah, it's just something I love being interested, I love being involved with, you know. Um it took us a while to get it right. Um I think when when you first tried it, um, you know, I'm not ashamed to say people had issues with the heads and they came across as as a, as a cheaper brand, but we've developed it now to the point where the coating's really good, the sounding's great. And our hashtag is trust your ears, try them. And if you like them, use them. Yeah. If you don't, I mean, it's, you know, the bit's personal to you as a drummer, you know, you know, this very well, you know, your heads and their, their interaction with your shells. It's a very personal thing. They work for some people. They don't work for others. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as any drum, you know, any drum or any symbol or anything. So yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's, yeah, it's building, it's building really nicely. And I'm, uh, I'm very proud of what we do. Um, and hopefully touch, touch wood, you know, when we get through all this, um, you know, everything to do with COVID and, and the world opens up again, it'll be, uh, it'll be, um, you, you know, we'll be able to spread the word even more. Yeah, you can keep growing the company and that's amazing yeah. to know you can get them in some of the other countries in Europe now, because I was going to ask about that. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I thought it might have just been UK, but yeah, so a few, I've got a lot of listens, listeners from, well, I've got some in Germany and Scandinavia, Australia, USA. So is is it just Europe at the moment? Would you say? Uh, no, we're uh, we're working with the Puerto Rican. Um, Puerto Rican. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. Wow. It's, it's kind of came out of the really uh, strange contact, uh, but um, he's um, Edwin. He's he's bringing them over into Puerto Rico, but he's also bringing them to the states now. Great. Okay. So they're coming to a warehouse in in Connecticut, uh, um, and um, you know we are going to gradually we're going to gradually work our way across the States. Uh, it's going to be the most difficult thing. We know this because our competition are all American. Um, but uh, it's, <clears throat> so we know it's going to be incredibly difficult in the States, uh, especially with the way that, um, you know, that Trump is as well, you know, everything's got to be American, uh, which I understand that as well. But um, yeah, we're, we're um, yeah, in Germany, we've come to call Music Bean. Um, so where, where else are we? Uh, yeah, Turkey, Poland, um, France, Benelux, Scandinavia, um, you know, across a lot of Europe now, uh, and we are we were just about to move into China and South America when COVID happened, um, yeah. Australia and Japan. Hopefully, they will come online as soon as we we get back to normal. Yeah, so um, that's amazing. Obviously, I was going to say it must be daunting trying to go up against the the big three or the big two plus the other one. Um, but would you say you're trying to still appeal to well, one of your one of your selling points is that your price is a little bit lower than yeah. those bigger brands. So yeah. if anyone wants to try them out, I recommend. I've tried a lot of them in the past. I think you've got some new ranges now since I tried them, and yeah, I thought they sounded really, really great and just as good as some of those other brands. So that's it. You know, I would we recommend are... someone tries them. No, thank you. I mean, we are we are yeah, we're definitely comparable quality. We are a little bit. Um, uh, cheaper which hopefully will help in you know in times at the moment and going ahead yeah um yeah and like i say all we ask is you know try them out if yeah. you don't like them 
it's fine. Um, it, it's it's a catch. It's a bit of um, is that a catch twenty two the right word because you've got an industry where it's really unusual to only have two really main players in the whole of the world. It it's is very, yeah. very unusual, which is great, but it's also very difficult because everyone goes into a drum shop and says, well, predominantly, I want some drum heads, Remo, lesser so Evans, and obviously Aquarian there as well, but generally. Everyone just knows the Remo and Evans brand, so you're breaking into a market that is is well sealed up at the moment. But we'll we'll get there. We'll break we'll break it down. We'll succeed. Yeah. No, we're good luck. Um, Thank you. Obviously, I'll, I'll put the the website address on the description if anyone wants to go and have a look. And you've got some some great endorsees as well, yeah. obviously including yourself. But what are some of the other ones you want to mention? Yeah, well, I mean, people like Russ Gilbrook, uh, who are on board, James Price from Duffy But Thieves. Um, you know, there's, 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 a, there's a good cross-section of people involved. Um, yeah. And that's, that's, I was going to say, yeah, you've got some like like Russell Gilbrook from Araya Heap and yeah. um, some of the kind of the up-and-coming modern rock bands are using them as well, I've noticed, which is really cool. Absolutely. I mean, and, and this is what we... You know, we, it's great to have the, the really high-profile players like Pete Salisbury from the Charlatans and the Verve and stuff like that. And, but, you know, the, the sort of, um, and this is no respect, but the sort of mid-level, the foot soldiers, we call them, you know, people who are more willing to, to do your social media and help you out because a lot of the high-level players, and I know this from personal experience, they don't. They just take the gear and they just do their thing, you know. But, um, you know, it really works for us, the people that get really involved in the, in, in the brand and we, and we like to support them as much as we can by offering some really good, you know, deals for the sort of, you know, the, the sort of the mid-levels, if you like. Yeah. Um, so it's working well. And then um, we've taken a lot of those players now and um, involved them with, I don't know if you don't you know about the education thing that we're doing. No, I don't, uh, um, sorry. It's a completely, this is the T-shirt, actually. It's, um, it's a separate company, so people don't get um, confused. It's called Drum Ed, right. so Drum Education. And um it's, it's an online resource base. We've got our own little studio. We shoot lessons in and we shoot lessons here and stuff. And that's that's launched now, uh, or launched, just launched, and we're developing an app, play along app for drummers to go with it. Ah, nice. That's a completely separate thing. So if anyone's watching there and uh, is interested in learning, there's myself and Rich Wilson from Raw Studios in Halifax, a great educator. That we, and we do the lessons together, filmed, and I, I set him to sort of talk to play bass along with the ideas. So I'm putting, again, putting music into it. So it's not just drumming. It's, you know, it's how to play together, you know. And the oh, idea, it, well, it's, it, he, he sort of gives the main lesson. And I'm kind of there as the, uh, the as the guy who said, who's, who would be on the other side of the camera. So, you know, if you're watching a lesson and you, and you want to ask a question, you never can, obviously, because you're watching a, a YouTube video. Rich will do something. I'll go, well, if I was watching that, maybe slow that down. And, and can you just explain that a bit better? So I kind of dissect it more. So hopefully it gives more information. But anyway, that's that's a, that's a you know that's, well, that's amazing. I didn't know plug. that. So yeah, yes. good plug plug. This is what oh, you're here for. Yeah, plug whatever you want to plug, and um, <laughs> I'll check that out because I think there's a room in the market for that because there's so many drum videos online. Yeah, you know, YouTube is it's millions and millions of drum videos on YouTube, and most of them are just guys playing so much. It's really impressive and it's amazing, but. Obviously, there's some great educators on there as well. There are. And the, the right. Slow it down and break it down. But there's so many things. That I'm like, someone, like I send links all the time and I don't have time to watch them all. But it's like, oh, yeah, that's great. It's like, I can't do that. He's not telling me how to do it. It's kind of like, 
Yeah. I, it's kind of pointless for me to watch it. It just makes me feel crap. <laughs> yeah, and, and a lot of time it's completely unusable in music. Exactly, <laughs> in a, exactly. In a, band, and, in a band situation, should I say, yeah. Yeah, especially, you know, a rock band like like mine. Like, I'd love to be able to do all those things. I don't have the time to learn how to do all those things, but I, I, I'd like to learn some more things I can apply to my band. That would be great, so. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, have a look. We're, we're catering for you know everybody. We're trying to go from absolutely, you know, if you can count to four, you can play the drums all mm-hmm. the way through higher and stuff. But yeah, it's it's um, drum hyphen ed dot com. Right, if your viewers are interested. Amazing. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, I was going to say if for any bands that you know they're in, they're in touring bands and they might be looking to try code drum heads or they've tried them before, is yeah. there any? Can they apply to be an endorsee, or how? What would you expect from them before they should even bother trying? Um, I mean, obviously, we can't we can't uh, afford to give away too much to stuff. So, um, but so we, we tend to because I do all of all the artist liaisons. So if you go on our website, um, uh, get my different companies mixed up, codedrumheads.co.uk, and then if you go to the uh, the, the endorsee section, you can just press the button and you can apply there. Ah, so okay. anyone anyone can apply. Just fill in the questionnaire. Um, then I, I look through all of them. We get quite, I get quite a few a week. Um, and I've got to be a bit brutal because I've got to look at what the artist can do for us. Of course. As well. So I'll t- I tend to look at their social media profiles and see how many likes, how many follows, et cetera, they've got. And if I think it's somebody that's on the right sort of trajectory or has got the, the amount of follows, and it's not a specific amount. It's difficult. People say, well, how many do I need? It's like, well... I weigh up a lot of different things, you know. It's not just how many Facebook likes you've got. It's you know, look at your Instagram and other things. And if I like what you know, I like the band, you know. Yeah. It's, you know, if I some, sometimes there'll be a band that isn't hasn't got a really much of a presence, but I'll listen to it and go, "Wow, I love this band. I don't care that no one's heard of you. You know, do you want to have an endorsement? You know, because I just love what you're doing. Yeah, you know, and we're and we're lucky, but we can do that. You know. Um, yeah. So yeah, you just go on, just apply. Anyone can apply. Uh, I'll assess it, uh, and and you know you'll either get an email that says, "Yeah, we'll offer you one of two different levels." Uh, there's um, red or orange. Red orange is forty percent off resale, roughly, and red's like fifty percent off retail. Okay. Um, so they're pretty good deals, you know. Bear in mind we are we are slightly less anyway, probably fifteen twenty yeah. percent less than than the competitors anyway. Um, so yeah, anyone can apply. It's, it's you know it, it's great, and um, you never know. You might just, like I say, it's not it's not rigid in the amount of people you you following. You know, if you if you're a great band, because I'm a lover of music first and foremost. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm well up for helping bands out. Fantastic. Um, talking about going back to live playing now. Do you have any specific warm ups or um, warm up tech? techniques or rituals that you kind of apply or is that something Uh, yeah i mean i I warm up more than i used to i I never used to uh, because you know back in the day it was always you know what you you don't need to warm up which obviously is rubbish um it does help you because i used to not warm up then you know well warm up with a few drinks basically (laughs) and then go on on stage and and after the second song you're absolutely going for it and you just drenched and you just worn out and then i'd have a lull of about three songs while i'm you know getting my stamina back um and i've realized if you warm up properly you can dive in uh at, at that sort of level but but you're ready for it so you can do it so it is key um you know i think i think i heard the chili peppers like play for like 40 minutes backstage before they even hit the stage 
when when we play with Coldplay, Chris Martin's in this hot room running for like an hour. Really? He, oh yeah, yeah. Before he even goes on the stage, you know. So um, warming up can definitely help. But I mean, in terms of warming up, it's just really, you know, just your basics, kind of rudiments and stuff. I'll just sit um, working through um, diff- different patterns for probably 10, 15 minutes. So yeah, not, not massive, but just enough to get my, my hands moving and shaking them out and, and stuff like that. And sort of jumping around, getting the, the legs moving, um, just getting the blood flowing really. Um, but I haven't got any particular special warmness. They're just a combination of whatever springs to mind on, on that day, really. Yeah. I think that's what a lot of people have said. They, they say just play simple stuff on, yeah. your, on your practice pad. Even if you just can Singles and yeah, just do singles. Yeah, just just sitting there and getting it because because a lot of the, the the rock stuff and my stuff, you know, and your stuff, it, it, it is based around singles. Yeah. Um, and then just adding a few, you know, you know, paradiddles and and stuff like that, uh, and, and just kind of just playing about whatever's there uh, and trying to get the yeah the left hand speed up on the left hand, which is you know the weaker side. It's that old. Are you yeah. right hand? I'm right-handed, yeah, yeah. It's, my left hand is crap. Exactly, and that's 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 something I focus on a lot in the teaching that's come up uh, and become very popular over the last few years because it's just common sense. You know, if you think about it, the very, very simple, you know, single stroke, you know, you can only play a single stroke as fast as your slowest hand. Yeah, that's true. It's even. So if you're if you if you if this if this hand can play at that speed and this hand can play at that speed. You can only ever play at that speed as an evil, an even single, and I think that's why a lot of um, you know young drummers sound a bit rough because they're going around the toms trying to do these fills, and they just the 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 weaker side, the right or the left, depending on what they are, can't keep up. But anyway, we're getting to drum teaching now. But no, yeah, it's, yeah, developing the left hand side. Yeah, Big one thing. one thing I remember my old teacher telling me was to like do everyday everyday tasks. That you would normally do with your right hand, do it with your left hand, like brushing, brushing your teeth, that's it, yeah. stirring your porridge or something. Just little things like that apparently help. So I started doing that again recently, actually. Um, it, it makes I don't think I don't think about it, but um, it, it makes a massive difference, isn't it? Because you think about it, and 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 it's the old thing, isn't it, about you know going. Just playing simple grooves, open-handed. Yeah. Is is you know is a phenomenal way of getting that left hand up to up to speed you know so just just open your hands out. Great. Do a bit of that. Thanks for the free drum lesson. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> right, sorry. Right. Um, yeah. So you mentioned the British Drum Company. What so what gear do you use at the moment altogether? Um, I, I'm using their on this kit setup at the moment. I've got their um, this is this is what you call their their Bluebird snare. Um, which is which is absolutely gorgeous. Um, it's a it's chrome over brass, so it has similarities in sound, should we say, to to a Black Beauty. Yeah. Um, which is which is a Black Beauty or a four hundred two were always my go to recording snare, which is what's on the kit across there. Right. Um, so I'm using that, and then the the rest of the kit is uh, their Legend series, thirteen, sixteen, twenty four. Um, which uh, yeah, just beautiful open drums that, that really sing. And then the um, you can't really see them here, but basically this um, friend of ours who did some artwork for our last live album, he reinterpreted our first album cover in like a splatter 
Oh, wow. So basically, That's when amazing. I saw his artwork, I said, Chubb, will you paint a drum for me? So I got the shells off British Drum Company and all these, with, they gave me the, the bare shells. He hand-painted them all. And then they put, and they, I mean, this is a ridiculous, eight-inch deep thing. It's That's just crazy. It's deep as hell. But, and um, and then they, they lacquered them up with 20 layers of lacquer and put them all back together again. And um, that's what that whole kit is. It's all that sort of hand-painted finish. Um, Beautiful. But they are, I mean, the, you know, the attention to detail of their kits is is second to none. You know, I, I was with Premier for years before that. Who actually, Keith, who who runs British Drum Company, he used to make their, uh, latterly, their, their, their drums in the UK, their, all their custom stuff. And he had KD drums before. That was his first custom drum-making company. Mm-hmm. Um so he's a yeah master master drum maker. Um, I mean, the kit they just made for Nico is is just insane that they launched it at Nam. Um, but yeah, just just great drums, and and they, they cover all areas now. They've got loads of different snare drums now, different finishes, different compositions. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I well, just, yeah. Have you had a lot of good stuff? Um, and I knew there was a, some form of premier link somewhere. Mm-hmm. And isn't Al Murray, the comedian, involved somehow? He is, yeah. Yeah, he he, he kind of enabled it to happen, really, because um, he sort of funded a lot of the up, uh, the uh, the startup of it. Right. Uh, he's a very keen drummer, lovely guy. Um, and um, yeah, he's he's still very much involved with the the company. And you've got um, Ian Matthews from Kasabian; he's part of the company as well. And Pete Salisbury from the Charlton the Verves. He Charlton the Verve. He's uh, uh, he, he's, he's involved with it as well so um yeah it's it's a, it's a good company yeah so if, if anyone's not familiar british drum company relatively mm-hmm. new drum brand so check them out yeah absolutely. a lot of competition out there as well but uh there's a lot of great people a lot of people saying great things from what i've heard so they're growing massively worldwide yeah they're, they're in every every country you can think of now they, they really are doing a, a good job well, if Nick, Nico McBrain is using them, that's, uh, you've got to be good enough yes. for, for everyone yeah. else. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> interesting, interesting there, because he hadn't long gone back to Sona, and then all, all of a sudden he ditched Sona and he was using British Drum Company all of a sudden. So that was a, no one really, he's never really announced what happened there. So that's quite an interesting thing for me. I think he just, he, he just um, <clears throat> he's always been a fan of the uh, British product. Yeah, he was with Premier for years, obviously. Yeah, um, and I think um, you know Sona was good for him, um, but then I think when there was a, a new British drum company, I think that just ignited his sort of okay, I'm British. This company's British. That's fair enough. I think it. I think it was fairly. I think it was fairly simple. I think that's why he got involved because he's, he's part owner of a drum shop in Manchester now as well called yeah. Drum. So he, even though I think he lives in California most of the time now, he's um, you know he's. He, He's still heavily involved with it. Cool. And is it is it Zildjian symbols you use? Yeah, that's Zildjian. I've been a Zildjian artist now. Well, last year I got my certificate for my twenty years. Wow. Uh, I've been with them, um, which I never realised I've been with them that long. Um, I think that was a couple of years ago. So um, yeah, I, I've I've always used them. You know, I was a as a kid, I was a big um, Paisley fan. 2002 was one of the first big rides I got, and, and that was because of Bonham. Yeah, you know, 
because he, you know, unfortunately, I'm just really boring and he's my favorite drummer. Uh, <laughs> most, so, people, most people's favorite drummer. Um, but then I, I got some Zildjian cymbals for, uh, when I was sort of in late teens and really liked them. And then they approached me when we, when we, we got signed and uh, or, uh, and I've been there ever since. And I've just I've just moved to these, to some different ones for me. These are the uh, custom special dry ones, which are really trashy. Okay. Uh, and I've also moved um, at the moment to 15-inch hats. I've always been 14s, but these these are these are 15. I'm a 15 uh, guy. Yeah, I, I love them now. <laughs> when I go back to my other kitto across there, it's got 14s on. It's like they've got like splashes or something. Mini that feels really small. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, and these uh, the Karopi uh, ones. I've got a couple of those in the ride over there that are really nice. nice. Um, and it's uh, yeah, really, really sad news that uh, they had to let Tina Clark go um, because um, I didn't know that. Yeah, she, she they, they made a redundancy yeah. a few weeks ago, um, and she was the one. You know, she she'd been there twenty five years. I've been with them twenty two years, so she hadn't been there long when, you know, she she sort of got me on board, and she's a fantastic person, you know, fantastic ambassador for, for their for their brand, and really helpful. So, but it's just this is just the sign of what's happening in. Um, you know, through COVID, it's having an effect on the big companies as well. Yeah, definitely. And obviously a lot of people I know within the industry and I've had, I've seen booking agents being let go and which is, I guess, is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Our, co our coach company went, I think about a month ago. Really? That we use all the time. So that's a, that's a shame. It's a shame. Yeah, yeah. so... We're all struggling, guys. If, if 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 you're listening and you're not in the industry, pretty much everyone within the industry is struggling. So, if there's any opportunities to, there's a lot of charities about and people raising money. That we we've just announced a t-shirt design. I saw all the, that. The, yeah, the money's going to go to our, our road crew because they're not in work at the moment. So I guess that's a bit of more of a personal. It's not a charity, obviously, but we just thought it was a nice thing to do because. We'd book them for tours and festivals all year, but none of them happened. At least we were able to still release an album, so yeah. we can still sell a few records, but they can't. So no. this is our little little thing, we little gesture from us to them as a thank you. And nice thing to do. Nice thing to do. when I saw it before I came on here. I saw I saw it on the Facebook feed and thought, mm, yeah, that's good. Oh, cool. Yeah. So if you know, if more more bands do things like that, it, it helps. You know, it, it, basically, those those guys who have probably do, been self-employed roadies or whatever for, for years and years, they might have to go and do something completely different now if there's no support from the government. So they might not be able to come on tour next year because they're going to be busy working in their kind of normal job, and which they probably think is secure. So I can understand it's, if it, a lot it, of people it, leave. It's really, I mean, even from our point of view, you know, um, I, you know, obviously we're self-employed but i could i couldn't claim anything because a lot of the money you know not wishing to go into my finances too much no, but a lot not. of the money a lot of the money we, we pay ourselves using dividends which there's nothing illegal about that it's just slightly beneficial um but yeah. if you do that um then you get that so when i typed my tax code it went ah, ah, nothing at all yeah. So we're going from a, a good year earlier this year you know doing leeds arena and stuff like that and you know it, it, it was good um to, to having no income at all really which is why the, the teaching has been a godsend for me to be able to keep that because i moved to my teaching online yeah and to be able to keep that going 
you know, uh, has been re really helpful. Um, but if this if this carries on through next year, then it's going to be really, really serious. You know, I, I agree. Can, I can keep going until next year. Uh, there are ways and means, but um, yeah, if if it keeps going, it's going to be it's going to be a big rethink as to what the hell I do um, yeah. and what we do. Um, but yeah. anyway, I think we'll come through it and we'll be fine. So looking on the positive now, yeah, I yeah. Think, I think by the time we come through it, hopefully early next year the appetite to see live music will be phenomenal. So I think if we can get through it by early next year and get back on the road, then I think there'll, there'll be a, a good a good couple of years where people just want to go out and see bands and just enjoy themselves again. So yep. fingers crossed for that for everybody. Totally, yeah. I have a positive outlook on it. Um, yeah. I, I got the same, definitely. So point. Thinking, oh, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the same as you, man. So fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, one thing before we finish then, if you don't mind, I've got a I've got a Patreon page and one of the benefits of the top tier, the Groove Masters, is mm -hmm. that I get to ask one of my guests a question. So I've got a question here from Steve Hancock. Okay. Um, and it's being known as a drummer in an indie rock band. Do you have any musical influences that might surprise people? I think he's referring to, are there any like bands or musicians you like that people might not? be aware that you'd like <laughs> I think um, yeah i mean my, my my musical was well, steve was it steve yeah 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 my see my my musical tastes are massively varied they really are i mean you know i've just been listening to you know stuff like is it fuzz the ticey girl um the other th thing that he does which is you know full-on heavy the new idols album uh i love you know i said earlier i was a big pistols fan you know all the punk side of things I, I love that side of things. So I, I can get kind of quite hardcore metal wise in the, you know, in the eighties and, uh, you know, I was out you know, hair metal, man. You know, I mean, I mean, look at this now. It was <laughs> down, down here in the eighties, <clears throat> you know, um, Donington was a staple, you know, uh, this week, particularly I've been listening to a lot of Van Halen yeah. uh, because, you know, Eddie was, a uh, and the band were just a massive influence. I just think they were, they were in incredible. And even though they were more popular after Dave Lee Roth left, I'm still a sucker for all the, the you know, the early albums. Um, so I listened to, yeah, all sorts of stuff, you know, throwing a bit of disco in there. Uh, mm. I probably don't listen to a lot of indie type stuff. And I'm just, I'm just looking as we speak at my, at my Spotify list. Oh, he is in indie. <laughs> uh, what else have I been listening to? Uh, yeah, big fan of Biffy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, new album's amazing. What else have I been listening to? Recently, this week, I was going back and I had a bit of nostalgia. There was a band called Clout, a song called Substitute from the 70s. Okay. Uh, uh, Transvision Vamp, who were a band from, from the 90s. Uh, going back to listen to a bit of uh, Def Leppard. I saw Def Leppard on their first tour. Oh, wow. Uh, um Flaming Lips, Doves, um, yeah, Fuzz, the great that that Ticey Gal side project, which is just just Fuzz basically. Um, and then you got to come on things like Style Council, you know, okay, so Jam Style Council. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'll listen to I'll listen to anything that I think's good. You know, uh, I, I I I get stuck on reggae a bit. Uh, I know there is good reggae. I'm not saying there isn't. Don't want to get shot, but it's just one of the things I don't kind of really get. I can listen to just about anything else, and heavy sort of uh, heavy sort of dance music doesn't doesn't float my boat. 
Okay. Um, so I'm I'm pretty. I'm definitely more rock and punk rather than indie. Interesting. Okay. In fact, thanks for answering. That's a really great answer. Sorry. Um, that's cool. Um, so this is the the last thing I'm going to ask. I ask mm -hmm. it to all of my guests. Yeah. So um, if you could create your own dream band with yourself on drums, who else would be playing the other instruments? They can be dead or alive. <clears throat> yeah, it's an interesting one. This I, I had this a while ago because um, yeah. somebody said, which band would you love to be in? Okay, similar. Um, I, 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 if you could be in any band. And I, and I forgot to mention, you're not allowed to say anyone from Embrace. All right, okay. You're not allowed, no, to, you're not allowed, to, you're not allowed to say, oh, I want to, I'll just play in Embrace. <laughs> Not not them guys now. Yeah. Um, if I if 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 somebody uh, it's like the way I answer this one is if somebody said because John Bonham right my hero obviously yeah. if some if if Robert Plant rang him and said oh you know will you come and play for Led Zeppelin you know then I I would love to do it but I'm not able to so I'd have to back away from that but but if somebody said um, we're reforming Sex Pistols and could you take Paul Cook's place or the Clash. Um, then I would I would love to do that. So I'd love to play with Steve Jones on guitar. Cool. Uh, maybe Steve Jones on guitar, maybe Plant on vocals, or or maybe Dio. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big uh, yeah, nice. big Ronnie, Ronnie fan as well. Uh, and then bass wise, get Lemmy on bass, obviously. Oh, uh, cool. And then keyboards, I think we'd we'd probably pop Rick Wakeman in there. Nice. <laughs> so, I, lo I love hearing the answers because. They're always so different, and well, sometimes like Lemmy's been in a few times, and you had Dave Grohl, and mm. that's it's the first time Robert Plant's been in, which is shocking because mm. he's one of the greatest vocalists and Dio, mm -hmm. absolutely amazing, but very different from each other. Yeah, um, yeah completely. Um, yeah, and you know, um, Ozzy as well. You know, Ozzy yeah. in, in in the in the day, phenomenal vocal, mental. Yeah. Amazing, Mike. Well, thanks so much for taking the time this afternoon to have a chat with me and being very interested. And it's nice to catch up. It's been a long time since we've uh, really had a good good chat. So, absolutely. No, it's, uh, thank you for asking me today, and it's been uh, it's been great fun. Just yeah, no problem. Um, I'll make sure everyone checks out Code Drum Heads and Drum Head Drum Ed. Drum Ed. Sorry, <laughs> Drum Ed. Yeah, not Drum Head. Um, yeah. So the for the educational stuff, and I'll definitely check that out myself as well. So, and good good yeah. luck with good luck with this year, and next year, and whatever happens with Embrace in the future as well. Thank you, um, bro. and good and good luck um, uh, with your album, and hopefully touring, and and you'll be all back out and doing what we all do best, you know, next year. Yeah, <laughs> do anything I can do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stop. Not much else. I, I actually trained as a textile designer before I years. Oh, really? Ago. I'm going back to that. Yeah. Well, I, I've, I've mentioned before in a few other episodes, I've actually got myself a part-time job just for the for the, the the for the time being, but mm. doing food and food packing a few days a week. But mm. it's just, I'm just thinking it's probably a, a wise decision to do something. You've got to do. You've just got to do what you can do. Yeah. You can't just sit back and go, "Oh my god!" You've got to just do what you can do, get through it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and then you know look, look forward to the. The bright musical future that there yeah exactly be. i and i'm very envious of your studio with real drums i've got an electric kit in, right. in the house but I, I haven't got anywhere i can set up my real drums and i miss it so much 
well, this is, I had to build a room within a room, literally. Um, uh, I'm actually in my, uh, what was my parents' house that, that, that my dad built. And then oh, wow. they passed away now, but I ended up coming back here and, and taking his, what was his workshop and building a room within a room. So I can come in here and very, I know I'm very lucky to be able to just, you know, whack the hell out of the kit any time, day or night. So it's, um, you know, sometimes you just need to do that, don't you? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, cheers again, Mike. Um, have Thank a great, you, great evening and thanks again. Okay, take care. I'll see Cheers. you soon. Yes. Okay. Cheers. Run for the Shore podcast. Well, I hope you enjoyed that one, guys. Let me know what your favorite parts were. Let me know on social media, uh, Drum for the Song on Instagram and Twitter or Dane underscore drums or on Facebook. Dane Campbell Drummer, or you can join the Drum for the Song official Facebook group. If you've just discovered this podcast via this episode, you can go back and listen to some of the other ones and preferably subscribe whenever you get your podcasts or on YouTube or preferably both. If you're listening on Apple Music or iTunes, I'd love it if you could leave me a written review as it helps with the search ratings. And at the moment, I could do with every bit of help possible. If you've enjoyed a lot of my podcasts and think you'll keep enjoying them, please consider supporting me on my Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash drum for the song. There are various tiers on there which you can support me by paying a certain amount per month, starting from £1, going up to £10. The benefits increase the more you pay. But the main things are that I do a monthly bonus episode and I do a monthly Q&A call online like a video call i was doing it on zoom but i might try skype this time so you just have to keep up to date with what i'm using at the time the money that i receive on patreon is really really helping me improve the podcast from when i did the first episode i just bought a cheap usb microphone from amazon and plugged it into my laptop but now i've got a proper usb interface i've got a really good professional microphone so it's really helping me so far. So thanks so much if you are already subscribing. One of the benefits of being one of my top tier patrons is that I give you a shout out in the episode. So I'll do that now at the time of recording. Thank you to my Groove Masters, Dean S. Monaghan, Rudy Pauly, Dan Hurst, Gareth Richards and Steve Hancock. Cheers, boys. I look forward to speaking to you on the next Q&A. One thing is... I'd really love to hear who you'd like me to get on the podcast in future. So that's one thing you can let me know online. I've got a big list of people I'd love to get and people I'm hoping to approach soon. But I'm always uh, up for some new additions to that or people I may not have heard of. So thanks. And yeah, it'd be good to get some females on, I think. What do you think? I've just realized everyone's been male so far, so... That hasn't been an intentional thing. So any good female drummers that you're aware of, uh, let me know. and I'll try and get them on. So that's about it for episode 11 then, guys. Thanks again for listening this far. Just to remind you, if you see any of my posts come up on your feed, on social media, please at least give it a like or feel free to comment or share as well. It really, really does help promote the podcast in an organic way. I know it seems lame, but I spend so long posting different stories and 
videos and clips on the social media pages and it really gets me down when I don't get a reach or no one replies so um yeah just help me out there that'd be great thanks so thanks again for listening to this episode with Mike Heaton don't forget to go back and check my other episodes just in case you've missed one or nine <laughs> um yeah so I hope you're all staying safe within these weird times again within second lockdowns I'm currently in a national lockdown in Wales and all the shops are closed again at the time of making this anyway. So yeah, stay safe. Keep away from each other. Wear your masks. Um, Yeah. And if you're a drummer, until next time, and don't forget to drum for the song.